live here on Mojo Moments. Welcome back. Mojo Moments Podcast. <laughs> you just decided to take over the intro. Mojo Moments. Do it again. Do it again. Mojo Moments. Ta-da. Okay. Podcast. We've lost all two of our listeners. Anyway, Sorry. you are with Thane Calder and... Mark Delinsky, co-host of the Clickbait and Switch podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And co-host of... And co-host of Mojo Moments, when so, I'm allowed to speak. <laughs> I can't believe you're doing a little passive-aggressive mojo right now. What's this that all about? This is what we do. That's the role. You play just aggravated leader, and I play passive-aggressive smartass. That is what we do on this podcast. Okay. So we should rename it to the Smartass Fucking Podcast. That's what it's called. Smart ass podcast. An occasional mojo. Anyway, let's talk about mojo. What's your mojo like? Uh, middling. Oh, you're coming up with new words. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My kid turned four this weekend, so we it was just a lot, I think. We had the the grandma in from the mother's side, and then we had the the birthday party with some friends in a park, socially distanced playground kids from the same bubble of the daycare. And so that was a thing. And then it was his actual birthday on Sunday. And then it was Victoria Day on Monday. And I'm just burnt out. And it's only Thursday. Here's the thing. If uh, your son hears this down in the future, when he digs out the archives of the podcast, he can say, what, dad didn't enjoy my birthday day? No, it was great. It was just a lot of energy. Hmm. Speaking uh, of energy, energy, I have my kombucha on the fly right now. I went for a run and for the record, we are now tied on Strava. Snap, son. Like literally we're at the exact same. It's a minute. Yeah, but I'm a little ahead of you because I've done more activities in the week. I think that's how they play it out. Anyway, so this is the Mojo Moments podcast and this is where we talk about Mojo. Yes. Maybe we should just. Our podcast is just you saying mojo in different in ways. In different ways, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, mojo. <laughs> this is the mojo. Mojo moments. Mojo. How would Michael Caine say mojo moments? I don't know. You should say, try it, though. Yeah, I can't do a good Michael Caine. Mojo you, moments. I'm sweet enough as it is. Okay, back to the show. Back to the show. We only have a few minutes of people's attention here. So the question I have, because it's been COVID and a lot of COVID stuff is impacted our lives. And one of them is shopping. Question, do you miss shopping? I don't. Ah. COVID, COVID sort of recalibrated my relationship with shopping. I don't enjoy it. I don't like going into places. I, I'm, I'm not a fan. I find a lot of it is repetitive, boring, transactional, and functional for the most part. And I'm not seeking out any new experiences in these locations, and nor are they providing them. So I don't know. I'm just kind of bored with it. Was that just you in life? Are you like that? Or is it shopping? No, I used to, pre-pandemic, I used to be more interested in shopping and seeing what was around and like this, that, and the other, just being curious and, you know, trying to stay up to date with what's out there. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need that in my life at the moment. This is the one moment I'm going to agree with you. I'm like, I don't miss shopping. This is the crazy thing. And we spend a lot of our life in the old marketing world dealing with how do we improve shopping. Now, I'll tell you one thing that I do miss. What do you miss? Being in New York City, in Soho, 
and going to their equivalent of Senka Seth, what is that in English? Happy hour at the restoration hardware, fancy store. I can't afford anything, but I can afford a couple of glasses of wine there. That I miss. That's the retail I like. That's where I would do retail. But that's an experience, right? Yeah. Like you're getting an experience, experience out of it. Yeah. You know, when you go to Canadian Tire, what experience are you getting? I do like Canadian Tire moments. You know what I like about it? How there's absolutely everything in there and it's just laid out in such an odd way. No, it's not that. The fishing rods hanging from the ceiling? No, not that. The paint section? Almost close. The rubber boot section and the tires because I like smelling the rubber. Tires and rubber. <laughs> Should I admit? Yeah, I don't know. Should I admit that? Is that why not? like I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, I like the rubber smell. I don't know why I like rubber. So uh, the reason why we we're talking about shopping and all that was kind of our little segue into we're going to talk to a retail guru today. His name is Carl. <laughs> Carl has written a freaking book during COVID. What's it called? The Great Acceleration. Yes, and he's a retail strategist. An executive advisor. He has his own firm called Studio RX. So, a big welcome to Carl Boutet and thank you for joining us. Hey, welcome, Carl. Thank you for joining us on Mo- Mojo Moments. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. So you've done a lot of cool things. You've spent a lot of time traveling the world, uh, going to conferences. Uh, I know I saw you on the stage at NRF, the biggest retail conference in the world. I saw you there ass-kicking and actually saw in the social feeds a lot of positive comments, which in this day and age is pretty uh, rare. This is obviously pre-COVID. Yeah, they can be paid for. Uh, you were paying for some fancy people from all around the world to say nice things about you. But we are now in the home, hopefully the home stretch of this COVID era. Round one COVID. Oh, hopefully. Dude, let's get positive. Dude, Mark, I'm the negative Mark one. I'm the negative, negative one today. We Even before we start recording, I was like, how's your... And he says, I'm going to fake happy mojo today. So, Oh, come on. Because well, your car broke down and you had a bad meeting this morning. And, I, and then I was grumpy and whatever. So you wrote a book in the middle of COVID. I know you talked about writing a book over the years and you... Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to a lot of people, COVID's been hard to get focused. You got focused. You buckled down. You made this happen. And the question is, like, do you like shopping? <laughs> You've written a book about retail and everything related. So do you like shopping? Uh, it's more than shopping, but it's consuming for sure. Um, do I like shopping? Not particularly. I enjoy um, I enjoy going to into uh proper shopping environments and this is more you know tactical and we'll we'll look out for stuff but do i actually enjoy the shopping process am i somebody that has uh, a couple hours to kill uh with a young family which is pretty much impossible but uh if i have a couple hours to kill would i would i choose to spend those couple hours uh going to my local mall and 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 going up and down the aisle probably not um but i do enjoy discovering the newer, more thought out, or if I'm in a new market, 
like your 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 example of Cairo that you were you guys were so generous enough to send me to uh, a couple of years ago. That's one of the things I'll do is I'll I'll ask before I go speak at an event like that. I want to go and see the state of. I'll, I'll ask them to send to bring me to their best, you know, or their most popular commercial areas. Um, and then also I'll ask sort of the, those are often two different things, popular and, and best doesn't necessarily uh, mean the same thing. So yeah, I, I, that, that I do enjoy doing. I do enjoy like a new markets, checking that out and just cause it, it's reflect, it's, re, it's a reflection of the culture. So, so that, is that professional enough now? Are we good? We can, we get back to things. <laughs> Screwing around. The, no, no, no. Now. I'm going to carry this on. So, you know, there's been for years people have been you know professing that retail is dead i'd say and i'm guessing from reading your book you disagree uh but why is it not dead because we we still consume i mean we i don't know if you've gone through a whole week without buying a single thing uh it would be kind of hard so and it's i think what you're getting at thane is is physical retail debt because i think that's where famous Mark Andreessen quote, you know, software is going to eat retail. Uh, so that was, that was the premonition that physical retail, the business model was, was done. People would no longer have any reason to get in a car and go to their, you know, local shop or shopping destination. But the way that it's differentiating and remaining interesting, meaningful, relevant, insert whatever word here, uh, that would justify you taking the time and the energy to go to a place beyond just a simple convenience. And there, let's not let's not discount that entirely. We're still not at the stage where I can teleport product to your front door in, in, in seconds. I'm getting pretty close to being able to do it in minutes. Um, so there still is a convenience factor, but it's more so a discovery factor. And, and what's going to be really interesting coming out of this is what people are going to gravitate back towards more rapidly. And and the idea that the destination retail I think, is going to have the upper hand here. This, this is going to be the final blow to the ones that were undifferentiated, that, that were there because they'd always been there. And we just was part of our our old reflexes, and now we've developed new reflexes. We've we had to during the pandemic. So um, the, the the book is really the, the thesis of the book is the notion that we're going to a fifty fifty world, and the idea of a fifty fifty world is you don't it's becoming harder and harder to tell it to apart, and that's a good thing. So the, this whole blend of of online and offline just sort of taking root. Yeah. Yeah, and in both directions. I think we've been talking for a long time about the, how digital blends into the physical. I think we'll get we'll see more and more examples of physical blending into digital. Uh, if either just from a very practical perspective of of Warby Parker uh, earlier this week saying who are sort of the, the the original gangsters of of direct to consumer brand that was built for a, you know, built for an online world and that opened a hundred stores and and. One of the one of the co-founders earlier this week said, so we're, "We're actually doubling down. We're going to be opening at least another 50 stores we have in the pipe right now." So, for an eyeglass company that was built on the idea that you could buy eyeglasses online, um, and then just the technology of it's going to make digital more and more physical too, which is that's a little more science fiction stuff and further down the road. But we're heading there. I mean, that's just unavoidable. Because you have like the Snapchat AR 
sort of lead where they're really incorporating the digital into into sort of the physical world through all the different lenses. It's almost like with Warby Parker, it's the flip side where, you know, sure, you could do the digital, but I mean, I don't have to wear glasses day in and day out, but there's there's definitely a physical element. So being able to go in and physically feel how these are going to be. And they're great stores. I don't know if you've ever been to, into a Warby Parker. Just, just the way you're greeted, you know that you're in a place that's different than your lens crafters. Like, you exactly. know, that there's, there's something, each one is, there's no two Orby Parkers that are the same. They'll always, they'll use like local street artists and things. And they'll, there's always like a cool vibe to them. And the product's good. I mean, it's not, it's not revolutionary, but the whole thing, everything that comes around the product and the price, that was, that was the, the key component is they recognize that Luxottica owned 80% of the market and that they were selling $700 eyeglasses that probably had grand total of $7 actual material in them so somebody somewhere was was and the margins were were were, were, were re- to be just dis- using the word disrupted but anyways there was there was money on the table um so yeah so i mean that's that's the physical the digital to your point mark i think also the snapchat and all that and as we go to the 50 50 let's face it the 50 50 is actually more of a physical going digital than the other way around because that's that's where the catching up is going to happen more. So this whole notion, I'm fascinated by this notion of digital layer. So so this whole digital layer that's just going to keep thickening around us. So the idea that yes, you're going to have more and more contextual information available to you, which is going to be part of that digital layer, be it a virtual way to try on glasses, uh, a virtual way to engage with the art inside of the store and understand who that painter was and why they're there. And 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 the absence of that is going to become more and more striking. Right now, we're almost surprised when we see it. And as we head to that 50-50, uh, sooner than we think, I think all this layer and as the technology and the processing, and let's we can get all, into all the tech jargon of 5G and, and all that stuff starts really kicking in. And this digital layer, is going to, that's what's really going to blur the lines between the physical and the digital. You talk a lot in your book about retail resilience. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? So it's it's actually this, that's what the fifty fifty is. It's this notion, and, and I'm sort of in Mark's camp. Although I'm a pretty, I'm an optimist, but I, I I don't think we're done with 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 being challenged by extraordinary events. Uh, so the resilience. If you build a business model thing where you're fifty fifty, that you're like, or use a sport analogy. If your your right and left foot are right and left leg are strong, one is the other, and you get thrown off balance, your chances are you're going to be able to keep standing. You know. Uh, and versus just having developed one one leg or one muscle. So the idea, if you can develop both, because I think there are scenarios where digital gets hammered too, by the way. We're seeing all these these attacks. I mean, look how we, uh, gas lines got shut down. Yeah. I mean, right? So I'm actually more bullish on the, the, the resilience of physical retailers than purely digital ones, not just because of cyber attacks and denial of service and all that stuff, but also just their dependence of and you know I know this the digital marketing world is 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 one you guys conquered but it's it's tougher and tougher for a digital only brand to survive solely on on using digital marketing tools so in Facebook and Google to name those two in particular we're just it used to be you could game it you know you've talked about this with other people on your podcast you could game it there was a way I remember 2005 my buddy J- Jeremy Gucci who you guys might know from Trend Hunter. I was one of helped him out launch his site back then. He's like, "Oh, you're not coming up top on Google. Give me ten minutes, and I'll I'll fix that." And, and he's like, "Okay, go back. You're now when people look look you up, you're the number one thing on Google. Like, how the hell did you do that? Like, there was a way back then that you could game the system. You yeah. can't you can't do that anymore. So that's a vulnerability 
that these digital only brands are also going to have to face. So combine that all together. If, if they go towards physical, while physical also need to go and reinforce the pandemic, obviously put that right in their face. Their, their, the lack uh, of resilience they had on the digital side for click and collect and, and, and the whole supply chain and logistics and all this stuff. And or even just their ability to engage with customers virtually was next to nothing for, for probably 80 or 90% of retail. Um, so all these things now they've had to reinforce and that's, that's, that's the resilience, uh, that's the resilience piece there thing. I mean, it's the idea of you can, if you can, you're aiming for the 50, 50, are you going to hit it on the nose? Probably not. If you get close within 10 points, either side of that, you're probably going to be better off than where you are right now, which is most likely an 80, 20, and if you're really good, a 70, 30 scenario. The quote you have at the beginning of your book is Winston Churchill, don't waste a good crisis or something like that. And so you, a good crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah, yeah, a good crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So building back better is a big theme in your book. Yeah. Um, and it seems quite clear to me that for you and you were on this pre-COVID and and it was a bit of a concern with COVID was, you know, better being more sustainable, people, planet, profit, that sort of model. Um, And then you predicted that was coming sooner than later. And then with, you know, when we go into crisis mode, people kind of park, yeah, well, screw the, screw the planet. And that's part of the resilience too, by the way. But do you, do you think that is fundamental that the, the players that will win and emerge in the long run get that and they know how to make it not just a, a patchwork. Yeah. Right. So uh, first of all, hundred percent, the pandemic also sort of exasperated that they connected a lot of dots that for the need to look at the triple bottom line more and more. Sure. There's going to be some greenwashing and, and we can all be very um, pessimistic or, or, or question the, the incentives in the book, I interview I interviewed about a dozen people, and all was, there's eight that we really highlighted. Uh, and I never introduced it directly. Uh, the sustainability I call the sustainability flywheel. I just wanted to see in the conversation, organically or naturally, if if the word sustainable would pop back in because it was all we were talking about, or maybe not all, but it was a good deal of the conversation pre-COVID. And and I'd written this article for Retail Insider where I said the biggest trend of the previous decade of being direct to consumer, the biggest trend of the next decade would be getting into the sustainability agenda, but not just environmental, social, and economic, right? Uh, and then we broaden the definition of, of sustainability to include that, I think, more important, more resilient, once again, and, and relevant uh, framework. And that's, I think, been accelerated. And that was what came out of the conversations. And, and so if I'm talking, I talked to Isabelle Blondet, who runs strategy, uh, was part of the, the 2030 strategy group for Decathlon Global. And she's like, before I'd even introduce you, she's like, we're about wellness. How can we not be about sustainability if we're about wellness? Um, I knew that Peter from H&M was going to bring this in. We actually did a whole chapter built on it on on his comments with peter from h&m which you could be very dubious of say listen you guys created a lot of these problems in the first place with your fast fashion supply chain um i mean to the point they're they're so focused in, in trying to get this right that they're actually they've developed they recognize it as a value add that they can actually sell to other um manufacturers so they've they, they actually have a consulting arm within h&m they'll go to decathlon and help decathlon with their own supply chain issues around sustainable sourcing and then again then they look at sustainability very much from not just environmental but social 
do they still have a lot of work to do? Absolutely. Peter would be the first to say that um, the, the, the supply chain isn't near where it needs to be because there's just not enough of the stuff out there that they would need to be able to get the scale that a company like H&M runs on. So, and then uh, even uh, we'll go through all the interviews. Um, they all at some point bring out sustainability. And uh, thankfully, it's the bigger, uh, well, thankfully, it's the bigger players that are leading the conversation, that are investing the resources, sort of challenging the status quo. And 2021, think of anything that's being launched right now that doesn't have that as part of it. It just feels almost odd. Adidas last week launching a hoodie that they're built to be uh, rebuilt, right? Or uh, made to be remade. Always get that or, or yesterday's <laughs> news coming out of Europe with uh, the judge mandating uh, Royal Dutch Shell yes. to hit more aggressive carbon targets. 2030, right? I think uh, was the number that if they hit like 50% by 2030 or something. I mean, that sent rumblings yeah. across the world. And, and now if you saw in, that, in that, those news stories, what's interesting is that there's environmentalists that are getting on boards. They're basically, you know, we have these... Um, these uh, activist uh, shareholders. Activists, thank you. I had active shareholder. Activist shareholders. That's why Mark's the smart one in the room. You know that. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, that's the whole reason why he's here. Yeah, I know. Not because of his charm. Just brings up the whole level of the game. Um, so these, so so environmental groups are putting in activist shareholders onto these boards, which I think is amazing. So it means, to, and you know how that works. I mean, you don't just show up one day and say, "Please vote for me." You got to put some cash on the table. And you need to own a sizable stake in the company to get that position or at least have the, even the opportunity to put your name in the hat. So that means there's bucks now behind these well, people. For a little insider tip, uh, I should be hearing back soon from Amazon if I'm getting on as an activist board member. Because I put some money on the table there. That's just because you want a little piece of that James Bond action, right? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of that. Hey, wait, I want to go back. You you mentioned Isabelle Blondet from Decathlon. She says mm -hmm. something really interesting about, um, you know, how consumers want to do the right thing and they go down the path. But at that moment of truth, yeah. I'm, now I'm paraphrasing, but that moment of truth, they can't always see it through. And, and so a lot of it's, oh, you hypocrite consumer, you know. And she said, actually, no, it's our job as organizations, as businesses, we got to yeah. enable, we got to make it easier for consumers to do the right thing. Exactly. And that's the first time I've heard a business, well, maybe Mr. Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia, yeah, but that's yeah, a for forever. But to hear that, that was an interesting twist. And that's sort of what I meant when it takes the big guys to lead. I think when you know, Nike or Adidas are... are almost imposing it on us and you know, that's what we want. And especially if you have the brand equity to do it where people already paying a premium because I can buy a, a less expensive pair of running shoes than, than, and in, you know, than Nike or Adidas, I'm already buying into the brand. And I, I, the, the, the idea here of the flywheel is this is actually what's going to drive, drive, eventually drive profit too. So you, it becomes part of the brand purpose at the core and my uh, when I wrote the piece in January 2020, my idea, my timeline was for the next five years it would be a competitive advantage. Around five year mark, it would sort of become a baseline table stakes where you would have it would be part. And in ten years, you would be at a disadvantage. So I you'd be losing margin because you didn't have a strong sustainability um, agenda. Flashwheel, uh, flywheel. 
I think that time got compressed as well in the acceleration. I don't think it's going to be five, 10 years out anymore because these players, and let's recognize, I mean, it's, they, they, they see this as an opportunity. They're, they're stomping on the gas. They see, they, they see there, there's weaknesses out there. There's competitors are not going to be able to follow. And they're just like, they're just trying to pull ahead. And, and they're trying to, they're doing it for the good of the planet, but they're also doing it for the good of their shareholders because they recognize that this differentiation is the window is going to be short. I have a friend, for instance, who uh, comes from the uniform business who launched a brand here out of Montreal called Hub 1916, who he does all his hoodies and things from recycled uh, ocean plastic. Right now, that's cool as fuck. But in three years from now, I, you know, I don't know, like for him, this whole company is built on that. And each, each piece uh, has an H with the number of bottles that went into the garment, into the pants, the shorts, whatever. Really, really cool and, and full on uh, advantage from at this point where you can sell it almost almost lululemon pricing not quite but you know to that sort of higher price point and and but is that is he going to be able to do that five years from now i i'm not i'm not so sure but the supply chain will have caught up hopefully by then too so that he could be at a more at a mass market price and still be wouldn't it be cool if there's like a rush on trying to buy the garbage the you know the garbage islands in the ocean and like people are racing to buy that out you know like, they are they are there is and that's peter points out in the book too that that's why he's saying there's a supply chain issue even if they wanted to go 100 organic there isn't enough organic cotton out there to really so they everybody's trying to catch up there's not enough ocean there's enough ocean plastic out in the ocean but there's not enough ocean they h&m is not going to go uh, scraping the ocean for plastic they're good they want to buy the pellets from the companies that are that are doing that, and there's not enough of those pellets out there that get converted into uh, can convert into the polyester that they, they they can weave. So it's all that. That's the part that's having to catch up right now. How long do you see that taking? Because this year we really saw the supply chain just get wrecked and stretched, yeah. and and just yeah. and now you have all these other companies sort of at the top end of the, the, of the system. Yeah, up top end of the funnel, needing all of these things to change throughout the entire entirety of the supply chain, but at the bottom, it's just not there. But I mean, it's economics one hundred and one, right? So, so right now, that pellet of, of plastic is selling at a premium. So there's businesses out there that are seeing opportunities to go out there, and, and it's an incentive for them to do and put the investments they have to make to to to, to gather the plastics. Um, how long, Mark? Is you know. I just feel like it's getting accelerated. It's being compressed because the big players are 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 they want saying, it. yeah, they want it. They know that it creates margin for them and and differentiation and and, and brand equity. So they're going to invest in, to 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 lead the way, and then we'll see where where companies like my friend with his with his active wear company where that's going to go. But what's cool with him? He's actually using it for uniforms as well. So he does like Club Med's uniforms. So Club Med between him and others. Right now they're choosing him, but how long till the the other big players catch up and do all their uniforms from recycled plastics? Because like the men want to say, by the way, we got the little triangle here, and each one of these uniforms, you know, saves six bottles of plastic from our ocean or something like that. Um, so he's got a nice, you know, a nice model going in there where it's not just in active wear itself, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think he has less time than he had when he started this cup two, two, three years ago. So to, to differentiate solely on that, it can be, he'll be able to use other, other avenues. And then the social doesn't get talked about as much, but you know, social sustainability is probably a big opportunity where you're seeing that's where Nike's done very well. They're standing up for causes, leaning into things. Again, people are going to call them say it's just marketing. They're just doing it because they, you know, it allows them to be heard and seen 
differently, but they could have chosen other avenues. They didn't have to necessarily get behind Kellenic or, you know, whenever these, any one of those. So, But you still see those bigger players sort of outsourcing that rather than trying to incorporate that into sort of a more vertical system where they own every step or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Inditex and, and H&M Group own a big piece of that, too. So when I say that, I still think they're at the point where they're buying ships scraping the ocean for plastic. Yeah. I think they own the mills that, are con- that can spin. Uh, H&M actually just, well, it's been a year now, but I think they officially came out. So they have this machine that you can buy from them that, that you throw old garments into, and it comes out as, as new, like new, new, new fiber mm-hmm. that you can use. Um, they developed it with a, a university uh, in Asia somewhere. So they are investing in that piece of it too. And they are in, are in, and Peter had another really interesting insider on this is, is it, we're the largest retail is probably the largest industry that un, that's so uh, really under indexes in R and D. Like think of every other major industry out there. You know, obviously pharmaceutical comes that we know is massive R&D, transportation, aviation, uh, automotive, uh, all massive R&D, obviously communications, telecommunications, technology is built on R&D. The the industry, CPG, so-so, I mean, I think there's only so many ways you could slice the detergent, but maybe we're finding new ways to to at least make it more environmental. But, But then retail has been, especially fashion retail, has been really low on on the R and D side, so this is their opportunity to take that, take those resources that they have more than anybody else, and, and change the game. Yeah, it was also fun to see fashion, the fashion industry at the beginning of the pandemic, because all of the timelines got thrown out of whack with you know when the next fashion week was. They sort of realized that wait, we don't need this obscene calendar, and they sort of reflected on that and were reframing what like their whole timeline, which is amazing. Yeah, and I was, and, and that's what's called the acceleration, by the way, too. And 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 reason um, this is none of this is new. All of this was foreseen. It was just foreseen further down the road. Yeah. So the the fashion industry uh, knew the model was broken. There's a great piece in the New York Times called Sweatpants Forever that I actually shared in one of my as a reading in one of my classes, and and, and it's a uh, it, that's exactly what it talked about. Is a company you know, these fashion designers saying we knew we were we were pumping up collections. I mean, this was absolutely ridiculous. Didn't make any business sense. Uh, it was not in you know environmentally. It was it, it didn't make any more sense. It was worse. So there was there was no way this registered other than this is the way we always did things. It was the only you know then. New York Fashion Week and all these people, they wanted to maintain this sort of momentum that they'd known for a decade couldn't work. So it took, back to, your, back to our Churchill quote thing, and, you know, that's, that's you know, the crisis is a terrible thing to waste. There's, there's a lot of changes that were made, uh, and, and they're painful. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're, 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 there's always people that are going to be hurt by these changes, but that had to be made, and this was the cloud cover to do I'm it. I'm going to observe something on this is that, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, and we, it sounded like we we're being flippant and cute and hilarious, but we, before you joined, I asked Mark, do you like shopping? He's like, ah, oh, not really. And he asked me, oh, I don't really. And then you're like, oh, not really. And it's sort of like, I, I think you've hit something on the nose. Now, we zeroed in on one part of it, more the garment, the more clothing end of the spectrum but i think which is, a, which is the smallest category yeah it's the smallest category but i shop. do i do think 
like there's an assumption built into the whole shopping retail consumption world is that we're all loving it. It's, it's all geared around that. And the people are in it, maybe love it, but actually the vast majority are haters. You know, it's not really. Let's, let's qualify that a bit more though. So, so you might hate shopping for clothes, but you might really dig shopping for a musical instrument or you might really dig shopping for a car. Whereas the, the, the next person could be the complete opposite. So I think everybody, there's, there are categories that we prefer more than others. There are people that just dislike the whole, just don't, don't even like seeing other people. So then we, let's count them out. COVID was perfect for them. No, that's not me. Not me. Just for the record. I'm a people uh, person. But it is a social experience, right? So, I mean, that's the first thing you're going to see. And what's going to be interesting, we're, us here in Montreal, we've seen it already, New York, Miami, we've, I saw it in Asia. The first things that are going to, when we open, they're going to become uh, the most crowded are the food courts and the food, de- the good ones, the food destination. Yeah. You know, like, so timeout market, it's not eight in the center of the day, that thing opens, it's going to be hopping. Obviously, the terraces, you know, those are going to... You, People, that's where people congregate, and then that, that will trickle into the shop. So when I saw the Singapore mall being one of the first to reopen, one of the luxury malls in Singapore last summer, we were all trying to figure out, you know, what the future of everything is. And I saw the food court, so like everybody just couldn't wait to, to, to be together and eat together. That's, that's where we're more together there than when we shop. But then what happens? We leave the table, and you're surrounded by all these, you know, these, and you haven't been in a shop in a while. And so, yes. Not you don't have the same density of people in the shops as you had in, in the food in, in the central food area, but you know that's that speaks to the social nature of why we why we do it, and that's why all the everything we're developing now there's, there hasn't been a mall built in like twenty years that's that's retail only, right? So they're all they're all sort of built on this formula of we're now I think um, American Dream is down to thirty percent retail in the latest iteration of the way they're spinning at Royal Mount. Who knows where that's going to land? Uh, if that's even going to be 30% retail. So the idea is you've got to put all these other social ingredients around it to pull people and give people the the the, the reason to go and, and hang out and have a good meal and see a good show and, and be entertained. And, and I told Mark at the beginning, like the one retail thing I do miss is going to in Soho to the Restoration Hardware, their flagship store there where you can actually – hang out in the store and drink a glass yeah. of wine and chat and use the whole store like a an awesome you know den or a lounge and it's like your place and we you've actually helped me figure out why I liked it is because it's that social side is kind of interesting like we're all missing a bit of that you know the curiosity of people watching and a little chit chat with the and and I guess what where I've fallen you know the hate side of the shopping and back to your sweatpants. Uh, what was the article you were talking about? Sweatpants forever. Yeah. Is, is that too much of the consumer world is, is based on the hustle of selling you new shit. And the woman in your book, he's about Blondet talks about that from Decathlon about being partners with your clients or your customers. And I think that's, what's so missing. It's all about, I'm hitting my monthly target. It's almost like police, that had to get their monthly target or daily target of pulling people and over. The metrics are all yeah. off. I mean, yeah. We've been saying another thing we've been saying for a long time. As much as the fashion cycles were off, the metrics have been all off. You've been you, the, the the analysts have been measuring you on comparable square foot sales. I mean, what the fuck does that mean anymore? I mean, what's a square foot? 
So how do we change these metrics and, and how do we rethink where value is created so you don't have that shitty experience? So one of my favorite metrics, the one and that I, I keep and I think through this pandemic came up even more so is customer lifetime value. I think that is that's sort of the should be the new North Star. Like there's no more there's no more confinement <laughs> around you know, geospatial, whatever. It's just like, what is, what is, what are Mark and Thing going to be, you know, how can I, how can I measure their worth to, so that I don't just look at them as a transaction. I look at them as over a longer, bigger, broader scale. uh, And then how can I build to that? And build to that means physical, digital, all these things, all these, all this engagement that that we're going to be seeing much, much more of and how you justify putting uh, yoga classes in the middle of your your, your your prime real estate space on Fifth Avenue. I'm going to ask one more question before we get into the, the rabbit holes, though. Okay. So the whole the whole acceleration over COVID was, whether it was predicted or as to the extent, and, and it, everything got collapsed, like 10 years happened in eight months. Mm-hmm. So in, what, in a couple of weeks in some cases. Yeah, in some cases. What's something that we, you and, and other, you know, people who, who check out these things was expecting to accelerate that didn't? Hmm, good question. That is a good question, Mark. Did you prepare that's, that? That's why, that's why Mark gets the big bucks on this show. I mean, that's, that well, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> yeah, that's why I get second billing. I love it. I mean, it's tough because I, I, my first reaction is anything that required any kind of uh, uh, travel, right? Because it just wasn't was important, and that's a that's kind of a cop out, right? So that was one thing we didn't see coming. Like we, we know nobody foresaw the death of business travel. For instance. That whole acceleration is going to have to wait until the vaccine comes up and then you're going to get the acceleration just delayed. Uh, by still a lot of question around. We know, we know that tourism is going to, you know, come back with force, but, yeah. but, but business travel, which is a big piece of a lot of economies. Um, there's still a lot of question marks that we became a lot more co- comfortable doing what we're doing right now and not to the point where we're going to completely eliminate it, but like we can all think of con- friends or consultants that we knew they were on planes all the time that are not going to be on as many special planes anymore. Um, so that's something, you know, um, that we didn't necessarily see coming, but it wasn't an acceleration. So, so I have one, I have one I'm going to throw in cause you made me yeah. think is offices. I think there's a desire to rethink offices, but I don't oh, think absolutely. the landlords have any inkling or vision to change because of the fundamental structure of real estate, of banks, loans, and all that structure, and they 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 won't pivot enough. But that's why WeWork is going to clean them out. Thing, the first sort of thing that really jumped at me at the beginning of the pandemic uh, through the accelerations I was witnessing was commercial real estate. And how the model again broken, uh, and and I actually ran a think tank. That's how I met Isabel and a couple of the other people that contributed the book. Um, we put together a think tank because I was having these conversations in April, and everybody was like freaked the fuck out, right? And, and especially the commercial real estate people. They're like, when when Aldo decides that he's folding shop, basically renegotiate his leases. Uh, everybody's like, okay, we don't have we don't have the leverage we had. And our, our model is, is not working. And it's something that I'm very interested in. Um, did a, did a, a round, another roundtable a couple of months ago with the head of urban studies from McGill, who's studying this a lot too. Uh, the impact, especially for downtown cores of, of office uh, occupancy. So yeah, there's going kind to of have repercussions on, on everything else. And I'm, li- you know, I'm living it in my own with the business here. 
Uh, I won't name names with the landlords and the, the various people involved, but it's a zero sum games from their side. And there's, you're not in partnership. It's literally, you've signed a contract, that's Mm -hmm. it. And they're all their, they built into all their contracts increases. So then you have to go nuclear, like you're the example of Aldo or other retailers, other players who said, well, we're bankrupt now. Let's renegotiate. Yeah. So there's no there's no real partnership. There's no room to go. Holy shit! The world has changed. I mean, uh, the only thing I can see, the only way this is that, that's going to have to shift to to is the the investment mindset for the people that own these assets, and especially the larger ones that are like pension funds and all that that are based on having uh, predictable revenues that don't correlate at all with the real the realities of the business world. So. Uh, so that's, you know, that's where you're going to have to see, and I had conversations, you know, uh, Claude Savoie, uh, who was president of anyway, he, he contributed a lot, not in the book, but in, in some of the other, the other stuff he did. And, you know, he, when you, when you're, when you're president of, of a huge, one of the largest real estate firms, you know, you're accountable to, to deliver these nice sort of not crazy returns on investment, but just nice slices. Predictability. Whereas, whereas with the thinking you sort of need at this at this intersection is is, is more a venture capital sort of mindset, high risk, high reward sort of. We work obviously reboot. Um, so there's going to have to be a fundamental change, and it's going to trickle down across the board. The good news is, if we bring it back to retail for a second, is what I'm hearing more and more is that the landlords are a lot more flexible in the, the terms uh, and in the business model where they're willing to share, which is the partnership piece that uh, you're willing to make it more and more around revenue share. But to do that, you need to be a, a, a firm large enough to absorb that. I have friends that own like strip malls and things like that. They were lucky they got out because they couldn't, they wouldn't, they don't have the cash flow to be able to just say, okay, well pay me 30% of whatever you make. Like they got to pay, they got to maintain these buildings. They got to pay the taxes. I'm like, you got to be sitting on a shitload of cash to to, 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 to to sort of pivot to that. Well, okay, fine. Give me 30% of whatever you sell model. So there's, it's going to be, there's some tough times ahead, but it is, it's a necessary. There's, there's, and, and Vibu Norby in the book, who's the founder of Beta, one of my favorite uh, retail business models, because he sort of pivoted the whole thing away. He's, he, he and his partners were the guys who created Nest. So they, they saw a lot of the lack in the retail distribution model. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's, they, he came point blank and said it was their fucked. I mean, this is, and he owns, they have a, quite a few actual physical spaces and he's gone hard into live shopping and this other stuff. So he's definitely right, racing to the 50-50. And if anything, he's probably going to pass that mark and go even more digital than that. But I wish I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. But anyway, so that's, that's, yeah, there's a lot of hard thinking, but it's, Second biggest asset class in the world, after re- after residential uh, real estate is commercial real estate more than any stock market, more than like all the corporate put all the corporate valuations. Corporate, you know, commercial real estate is a big, big beast. Another person that uh, in the book is is built to buy mall. Um, so Sam uh, Sam Roof and he uh, same thing. He was he was part of that thing. Thank he was among the first to say you know we. But he's more around the mall's got to get involved in the supply chain side and help getting the product to the stores more easily and sourcing. And like he was up the, on the other end, they're already past a lot of this stuff that we're, we're, we're thinking of around clienteling and all that. They're already there. So they're, they're even going deeper into how, how they can even help the, the clients 
supply get their supply chains back in better order. That'd be genius. So back to our rabbit hole five, my friend. This is what we do, and you're like, "What is a rabbit hole five? It's five. I, quick- I listen to you guys. I know. I know. Well, you've heard the old like, podcast. I'm, a, I'm your biggest fan since last night. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one that boosted all the numbers overnight. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, so, Mark, you lead off, buddy. You. This all right. is your question. This is a hard-hitting one. Have you ever shoplifted? No. Well, there we are. Question Not even two. a candy when you were like 10? <laughs> candy when I was 10? At the corner store. I lived in a, I lived in, on the South Shore in a town where everybody knew my family too well. Like my father was director of the city, so it wasn't a good place for me to, to do stupid you shit. You are a good cat. Holy cow. Thane, have you shoplifted? I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I am do the, that. I am the host, co-host to this show, so I don't need to answer the questions of the rabbit hole five. No, without the presence of his attorney. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number two, if you had to choose only one of your interviewees that you had, to be on your dream team. I know this is tough. This is like choosing the child, your favorite child, but you interviewed a lot of interesting people, but if you could only choose one to be Mm -hmm. on your dream team of retail reinvention and all those great things, who would you choose? Mm, That is tough because they all have, they sort of all play different strengths. Um, You know, I mentioned Vue because I think he's just such an innovative thinker, but he's a San Francisco guy. Like he's, he's always balls to the walls like there's no there's no half measure so that's a little a little too much for me but when did i'm actually speaking with again tomorrow i'm speaking to a group of his uh, he's in india i'm really fascinated by what's happening in emerging markets and be investing a lot more time there um so i probably admit just for that reason because i think i think the next huge market opportunity is going to be there and he uh, helped. He was vice president of development for the largest retail groups out there. Future Group now has his own thing um, called MCare that he started, and I'm actually on his on his board. But uh, and that's not why I'm choosing him. But it's more. I'm just fascinated. I think I think COVID will do to India and that part of the world, uh, South Southeast Asia, what SARS did to China. And, and we forget that Alibaba was basically created. On I mean, it was pre-SARS, but it propelled Alibaba to where to a place where it was almost impossible, you know, to catch up to it. Thanks because of SARS. So I didn't know that. That's, a, market, that's so. a big insight. I didn't know that. That's what I'm here for, man. That's you know, Dude. you, you, you like I got to step up my game. Like I've seen the roster of people we've had. In oh no, and, seriously. Like uh, I'm glad you did. You know, got ready last night. I heard you did a workout. Yeah, dude, I went for my I went for my big walk. Went to see my ducks. Yeah, okay. Listening to you guys, while I was looking at my ducks. And what was more interesting? What was more went interesting? In, went into the water with my bathroom. What was more interesting? The ducks or the podcast? I think they both they both complement each other really well. They were complimentary. You're swimming, baby. You're swimming. Get it? Get it? All right, number number three. Whose opinion did you really want for your book, but you just couldn't quite arrange the meetup? Um, I arranged the meetup, uh, but it didn't. I wasn't able to publish it because we apparently got too much of it wrong. Was Ron Johnson, uh, the guy who started the Apple stores, Steve Jobs hired. Um, so uh, we, I think we, because what the interviews are. So there's a couple of quotes, but then there's just a lot of contextual analysis. And 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 Ron's, uh, I, I I I think we should be more sensitive 
to his reality, especially since he had a period with J.C. Penney that wouldn't be easy. Anyway, so we, we, we would have misrepresented some of the stuff he said, so we had to pull it from the book. Um, so that that one, that one, it's not that it didn't happen. I never, that one, he, you know, we, we made it happen and we still can put it in the book. So that one, that one hurts particularly, yeah. Because I, I got to interview Ron two years ago at a RCC event, Retail Council Canada event, and we had an awesome, like, 45 minutes almost no prep, just like jamming. And he was, he was brilliant. And we, we, we always remember him as the guy that Steve Jobs hired to build, you know, to create the whole retail, uh, Apple retail phenomenon at, at the most counterintuitive time where everybody was running, running the other way. But we forget everything, the whole target. He basically recreated target. He was the head of merchandise. So that, that, that in the late nineties when target was super cool because that all this, you'd find like some, the merchandising was just, you know, totally different than anything else. That was him. And I actually, that's the part that I was most interested in. And he's doing some pretty cool stuff now too with a company called enjoy, but that he, that he started. And, um, so yeah, so that, that's not the one I didn't get. Uh, I got it. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of others that I, you know, I would have liked that. And who knows? The idea, by the way, the book, we call, I always call the book in brackets. It's really an instigation. It's a start of something. I, I'm trying to turn it into a subscription uh, service. So it's it's not a big, huge thing because the idea is I want to keep adding to it. And it becomes sort of this evolving. I didn't like the idea of creating a static. This is what it's going to be and, and all it's going to be. Uh, I didn't. I'm just I'm self-publishing, self-financing. I didn't go through the traditional channels to get this thing out. And like I literally was updating stuff like a week before I went to print. Um, so just you know, I didn't. It's not something was going to be in the editor's hands six months before the public would see it. Um, I love so, that you're doing that because the problem with you know a lot of these books is that they've kind of they they're cemented in time, and then you're like. Especially the future in, in, of retail. Yeah, the future of retail. Like, and how many times have we seen the future of retail now? You're right. And I always, <laughs> I always correct both. It's futurist, by the way. I had an S to that because yeah. there's no, there's no future of retail. Yeah. There's several paths forward. But so that was that bugged me a lot. And this was like five years into making because I was always sort of grappling with it. And the idea is, listen, the book's twelve ninety nine to get it online, and it comes with three months of the service that I'm hoping to charge five dollars a month for once those three months are up. And the idea is, is the subscription is just going to kind of guide you to this fifty fifty world. So, so the best practice is what we're seeing, so you don't kind of get caught off guard with some of the stuff that's happening for 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 that five bucks. So it's not a huge commitment, and I'm not going to make myself rich from it, but at least keep me relevant. And the idea is, the people that, that consume it have some skin in the game. It's not there's a lot of free stuff out there. Um, I could have made the book free as well if I wanted to. I mean, I, but it was, yeah, I could have financed it to that point, but at least it shows a little. And there's only a hundred physical copies for sale, but they come with an hour of my time. Those are that was smart. Things. I like the way you're marketing it. I like that. So that's oh, that's that that's, that's that's. I just actually came back from the post office and shipped out. Just shipped out about uh, twenty of those today. So. That's smart. My, and coming from Mark, high five you on that. That's a huge win, man. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, can I, I'm going to frame that. I got, uh, Mark, I'll put that behind. I got a Scott Galloway love Carl Butte tweet. So I got that one. I and saw that. And I'll put yours under right underneath. That. Right under it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Question number four. You know that guy, uh, the refugee guy who was stuck in an airport, I think Rochelle the Good, for like 15 years or something crazy? Doing the Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, the Tom Hanks. So if if you were had to, you know, maybe not 15 years, but you're stuck for a year in a store, 
You can't leave. Essential services are provided, like food and whatever, and you have a bathroom. But you had to be in a store for a year. Which store would that be? Probably be Decathlon, actually, because you could play all the sports while you're there. That's one of the few, and they actually have gyms in them and all that. So, you know, you can go on the trampoline. They have, they have a, a reserved area where you can go play basketball and at least stay act, physically active. And, and take, you can, you're allowed to ride the bikes around the store and all these things. So, you know, so it's a little yeah, tip of the hat to Isabel as well. But, uh, I always liked the idea that it's a very uh, overused or an experiential uh, space, but it at least allows me to, I could probably learn to rock climb a bit better. I could probably could become a pretty good, um, uh, pretty good at bow and arrow because they have nice, you can actually do bow and arrow <laughs> archery. I could become a good, I could come out of there a year later and be a kick-ass archer. So Mark, where would you be for a year? I know you've thought about it. I'd probably choose Ikea. Yeah, but there is a dude who did that or someone a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, the food's pretty good. There's parts of the world, they have problems with people, like, sleeping them. I don't I don't doubt it. I was just thinking about decathlon. The only problem I have with decathlon, I think it's super fun to go in there, is I don't like the people who use it as daycare on the weekends, where they just sort of, like, show up with their kids. Well, you're looking at the downtown like, one, right? I was thinking about the one on the South Shore. Oh, really? Yeah. that one. the one downtown smaller, that one I'd, have, I'd struggle with. That's true. With. I was thinking more of the South Shore, but yeah, no. Hey, listen, I guess I'll play with the kids. Give me something to do. They could be trapped there for a year as well. But the IKEA thing, and it was smart because IKEA was actually at one point was was actually was promoting the fact that they would do these these sleepovers. You could go and they do these sleepover nights and they throw parties and whatever. But there are other parts of the world where people will spend way too much time in them. And I think there's I'm sure and there's Instagram accounts dedicated to that. You know, catching people sleeping in beds and IKEAs and stuff like that. <laughs> Thane, do you have one? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, there's part of me that would say, you know, restoration hardware. But then I was like, you get bored lying on all their stuff. So then I was like, oh, a bookstore would be fun because you can read all the books. Mm. And then I was like, yeah, but then, then, but Carl's right. You know, you want to do a bit of sports. So I think, you know, the one place that does all that is Walmart, man. <laughs> 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 they got a few books. Daniel yeah. Steele, and then I can run over and find some. It's probably great. It's probably the right answer, actually. They allow you to. to, to but to, it's to play no with offense. All this stuff. It's just the lighting in there kills me. The lighting. I, the yeah, no, I'm, I'm, it depresses the hell out yeah. of me, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a huge, really impressed. They're probably the most innovative retailer, quite honestly. More Amazon gets that hat most days, but I think if, at the scale they're doing things, I would say that they're, but still, I mean, the shopping experience. I have trouble spending 20 minutes in there and spending a year. I mean, I think by the end of two days, you can send the ambulance and, and call, call, call the cemetery. <laughs> so there goes that client that you were about to get. So <laughs> last question, drum roll. Mark, do that drum roll either. No, not doing oh, it. Come on. No. Okay. No drum roll. Do you know what do you our have like a guitar roll? riff? Do you give so like this a... will be the real <laughs> test. This will be the real <laughs> test if you've actually gotten all the way through one of our podcasts. What is the fifth question, the rabbit hole five? So the 16-year-old self? Ah, 17 now because my son's a year older. Yeah. But wow. Yeah, it's better because 16 wasn't, I was going to tell you, 16 is not a good, but like 16 is still too many variables. So. <laughs> Do we want to talk about your 16-year-old self? Let's talk about that. <laughs> that just didn't seem like that. It didn't yeah. really seem like I was at any sort of so, turning so point. We're getting the, into college, definitely. I want you to give yourself advice, your 17-year-old self. Give, come on. The advice you'd say to you? Uh, I mean, I think I was already kind of there, but it's something I, I keep telling um, 
even my, I have a, I have a 17 year old, soon to be 18 year old daughter. So, um, you know, school is important and I teach, so I'm, I'm the first to say that, but not be so hung up on your grades and all that stuff, unless you're really like going into med school or, or that sort of thing. So, uh, balance, you know, finding time between trying to find a balance between school, friends, work, uh, social activities. I think that's, you know, kind of keeps your, keeps you more, uh, well, ba- more balanced. I think there was, this, we're still really hung up. And as a parent, I'm sure you're the same way thing. I mean, I think we're still a little too hung up on grades sometimes and, 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 and making sure that they, cause we want, we think it's good, going to make so, and we know that this cor- doesn't really cor- correlate to success anyway. So. Um, yeah, but you, I don't know if that's get, really get, hard get. advice for me because I was never the I was never the guy going for A plus anyways. But I, I know there was still always in period applied science, and I was really trying to to make that work. And, and skiing came along, and then everything went to shit after that. But I mean, it was that was a different different story. That's how you. That's, that's how I got into two. marketing, by the way. And what was so that? I know that story. Skiing got me into marketing. What'd you do? What'd you do? I uh, started organizing ski trips for my my CJIP, and I, I thought the business, in my mind, the business world was this boring nine to five administrative thing that my father did. And uh, and I was in the outdoors club, and they said, "Oh, we need somebody to help organize ski trips." I think it was like to the uh, GP or something like that. And I was like, "Oh, you know, I, I enjoyed skiing. I was more a hockey player up to that point, but I kind of got me into it." And as I started selling the trip, I promote it, sell it, and I was like, I got super like this rush of adrenaline. And just so happened, I had a marketing class as an elective that semester to a kick-ass marketing uh, prof that really just so I like you know the next day I went to the admissions office and said I'm changing programs and going into uh, I, I got to pivot to commerce and, and do marketing. So and that's that's and that's that's where when I when I'm glad I did because I was heading to become a forest, I was heading to become a forestry engineer at that point. So so this is one of the I'm going to give yourself your 17 year old self advice. Try shit out and let let your heart lead you yeah. to places, man. So uh, that's awesome. Congrats on the book. Thank you. And on the pro- I call it a project. On I the mean, project, the multimedia yeah, project. The, the ongoing project. And big hugs. Take Thanks, care, guys. man. Thank you so much. Really Cheers. appreciate it. Thanks, man. I love Carl. Carl's a good dude. Carl's always been a good dude. But you know what I realize? He's done a lot of work the last couple of years. <laughs> He's really been diving into the data. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things I found really interesting is that his, uh, his whole take on the, uh, was it the triple bottom line? Yeah. Well, I've heard this saying that people planet and uh, profit – but I actually think he has see like the people he's been talking with and getting this down in his non-book book uh, subscription model where you get a, a whole bunch of good shit. But I think uh, he's actually bringing to the fore. This is what's going to happen. It's no longer. It's a great theory. Looks good on a. It's no longer bullshit hippie stuff. Like there's yeah. there's an economic underpinning to it, and it's going to be not only a differentiator, but it's just going to make financial sense for a lot of people to do it that way. And that's good news. Good Excellent news for news. everyone. Uh, and I, I and I think he's well. We all know it was the radical acceleration that took place through COVID. I'm starting to feel a bit of a concern. 
have I taken the most advantage of this pandemic crisis? Have I? And I, and I hope others are feeling that same anxiety and that they're going, can we do more as a company, as a business, as a human, as a well, friend? One, yeah, one of the things I think we're really going to notice is how people treat going back to work. I think that's going to be where the rubber hits the road to see if anybody actually cares about this kind of thing. Because you're starting to see a lot of companies bring their staff back and there's a lot of, well, we want our people in. Done. Like the, the sort of like the investment banks and stuff like that. And like that's going to be a situation where a lot of people have learned to live a different way. And, and you're going to start having to adjust to that. I think that's going to be one of the core sort of human elements over the next six months of like if, if you're a company who doesn't provide something that's beneficial to a person as their sort of main source of employment, they're going to bolt. And they already have been. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. You're talking about it in the work. But even as people go back, so, so let's say the world's com- kind of open. It's open again. And they've, there's a lot of their behaviors or patterns, whether it's shopping or, or their hobbies have changed. Will they never go back to some of those things? They never, you know, it's fine. I don't need that in my life. Or if they go back, they'll go like, well, this doesn't meet the expectation. Gone. Sorry. You're out of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's all about what things you want to retain and what things you don't. Like there are lots of people who are like, I'm so excited to go eat in a restaurant again. I'm so excited to go to the bars. I'm so excited to to see movies and all all this, all the stuff that you used to do that was enjoyable for you is the stuff you want to go back and get doing. But one of the, all the stuff that you didn't enjoy doing is the stuff you don't want to go back to doing. So long commutes, you know, being in an office space that you don't like for the sake of it. Those are things that I think people are going to have to deal with. Well, let's stay tuned. That's why we got to keep following this story because we are hard hitting. Because it's the futures of retail because there are many paths. Many, many nows. So thank you, Mark. It's always an awesome moment in my life hanging out with you, bro. Likewise, homeboy. Carl Boutet, thank you again. Thank you to the world. Who else? Who have we missed when we say the world? Chris Vellin for our music. Chris Vellin. And anyone who listens, thank God for you. (laughs) Ciao. Bye.